Hey y'all, welcome back to Anchor Podcast, Tina Smooth Radio. Today we're going to go over chapter 8 of Kingdom Principles. I want to say happy Sabbath to everybody. I hope y'all get some relaxation. Excuse me because my ear, I was laying on my ear so you know how your ear be kind of blocked. That's what's going on right now, so my ear is kind of blocked. I love you guys. If you don't know me, I am Tina Smooth. I am a life coach, a mentor, and a motivational speaker motivational speaker um i want to encourage y'all to continue to read this book play it on the replay follow me on youtube tina smooth like comment subscribe hit that naughty bell and we about to get right into it kingdom principles chapter eight Chapter 8, Kingdom Concept Number 5, Understanding the Kingdom Concept of Law. In any civil society, the rule of law is the bedrock of order and social justice. As noted in the previous chapter, a constitution is the documented aspirations, desires, and hopes of the people for themselves, in the case of a democratic republic, and in a kingdom, the king's aspirations and desires for his citizens. Law is produced to protect the Constitution and to secure the rights of the citizens to what the Constitution promises and guarantees them. No human society can survive long without laws. This is just as true for a kingdom as for any other system of government. Human nature being what it is, laws are necessary to keep man's baser instincts and drives in check, protect public safety and decency, and preserve the moral order. Every kingdom is governed by laws. Laws enforce and protect the standards by which the kingdom operates. As we saw in the previous chapter, the standards of operation for any government, a kingdom included, are codified in a document called the Constitution. This contract spells out what the government expects from the people and what the people can expect from the government. It also delineates the rights of the people. These rights and expectations need to be protected and that is the purpose of laws. A country's laws always reflect its constitution because they are derived from its tenets. They not only protect the standards and ensure their fulfillment, but also prescribe penalties for any who violate the standards. In order to develop a better understanding of the overall kingdom concept, it is important to have knowledge of the origin, nature, and function of laws in a kingdom. And as I have throughout this book, I will continue to use the kingdom of heaven as the primary model. The Bible, the kingdom of heaven's constitution, establishes the standards for life in the kingdom. Unlike other constitutions, however, it also lays out the penalties for non-compliance. In addition to being a constitution, then, the Bible is also the law book of the kingdom of heaven. We often think of laws as unpleasant and inconvenient demands that restrict our freedom and limit our options. In reality, laws are designed to free us to pursue unlimited options by providing a safe environment where we can live in peace, security, and confidence. True freedom is always circumscribed by boundaries, and laws define those boundaries. Within those boundaries, we are free to thrive, prosper, and reach our full potential. For example... Looking again at a passage we examined in a different context in chapter 3, consider some of the positive benefits we derive from the laws of the king. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 19, 7-11 What does the law of the Lord do for us? It revives our spirit, gives us wisdom, and fills us with joy. It enlightens our minds and emboldens us with confidence because of its permanence and uprightness. It enriches us with wealth much greater than earthly riches and leaves a sweet taste in our mouths. It warns us against danger and foolishness that could destroy our lives and places us on the path to great reward. If we allow it, the law of the Lord will nourish us thoroughly, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus said, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. This means there is more to life than food. We need solid, dependable, unchanging standards to live by, standards founded on truth. Many people today question or out-and-out out reject the idea of absolute truth. Well, regardless of what they think, the Bible is absolutely true, and everything in it will work for our good if we obey it. There is no law in the Bible that is not good for humanity's overall welfare. In fact, the Bible is the best regulator of civic society, yet most of global society rejects its wisdom and insists on choosing its own path. That goes a long way in explaining the mess our world is in today. We need to take a closer look at the kingdom concept of law. Seven Principles of Law 1. All creation was designed to function by inherent principles. Inherent means built-in, existent from the beginning. In other words, the laws of the King of Heaven are built into the very structure of creation and determine precisely how all of creation functions. Scientists speak of the laws of nature, the laws of physics, the laws of gravitation, the laws of thermodynamics, and many other laws to explain how nature works. In this sense, laws are observable, measurable, and repeatable because they never change. Everything that God created was designed to function by certain built-in or inherent principles. 2. These principles are called natural law. Natural law has to do with laws concerning the nature of a thing. For example, birds do not have to be taught to fly. That ability is inherent in them as a natural law. In the same way, fish are not taught to swim. They possess swimming ability as an inherent law. The same principle applies to plants when they produce seeds that reproduce new plants that are just like the original. 3. Natural law is the standard for effective function of everything that God has created. If birds follow the law of nature, they live and reproduce. If plants follow the laws of nature, they grow and produce fruit. God built these laws into nature, and as long as plants and animals follow those laws, they prosper and flourish. Violation of natural law, on the other hand, leads to dysfunction. Take a fish out of water and it will malfunction. It will die because a fish is designed to live and breathe in the water, not out of it. So natural law is very important. It is the standard for determining effective function. 4. 
Laws are the key to successful existence and a guarantee of fulfillment of purpose. Obedience to laws promotes prosperity and ensures success. All a bird has to do to fulfill its purpose is fly and reproduce. Both of these functions are governed by natural laws. Every plant and creature on earth will succeed and fulfill its purpose simply by obeying the natural law inherent within them. It is no different with us. As long as we acknowledge the laws of God and submit ourselves willingly to living by and obeying them, we too will succeed and fulfill our purpose in God's design. We will realize our full potential. 5. Laws Protect Purpose When we obey laws, we protect the purpose for which we were born. As long as a fish stays in water, it will be able to survive and prosper. As long as a seed stays in the soil, it will sprout, grow, and prosper. As long as a bird stays in the air and there is space to fly, it will fulfill its purpose and prosper. As long as we obey the laws of God, we too will live and grow and prosper. Please understand that when I talk about obeying God's laws in order to live and prosper, I am not suggesting that we can earn right standing with God by doing good works or by strictly observing some codes of rules or statutes. The only way to be rightly aligned with God is by changing our mind and turning away from our rebellion against Him, which the Bible calls repentance, placing our trust in Jesus' death to remove the guilt of our rebellion, giving up our self-reliance, and acknowledging Him as Lord, owner of our lives. By obeying God's laws, I mean living in willing submission to Him as King and Lord, and honoring His Word as the unchanging standard of reference for our lives. So then, what laws of God are we to obey? All of them, of course, and there are many. But here are the two most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6.5 Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18b Jesus himself identified these as the two most important commandments in the law of God. Kingdom Ambassador Paul, in context with a discussion about the responsibility of kingdom citizens toward civic earthly authority, commented on this second verse, saying, Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13.10 Obey the law, and it protects you. Disobey the law, and you risk sacrificing your purpose. 6. The purpose for law is to protect the constitutional covenant. Laws exist to make sure that the provisions of the Constitution are carried out consistently, equitably, and without prejudice for all citizens. For example, the Constitution guarantees every citizen the right not to be convicted of a crime until proven guilty. Trial by jury is a law designed to protect that constitutional right for every citizen. In the Kingdom of Heaven, the laws of God are designed to protect and ensure the fulfillment of all terms of the covenant that God has with his creation. Typically, cutting a covenant involved the swearing of an oath of fidelity between the parties entering into the covenant. Because God's covenant with man is unilateral, meaning that we enter freely into a covenant he has already established, he alone can swear faithfulness. And the Bible says that this indeed is what he has done. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear 
to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Hebrews 6, 13 through 15 and 17. The constitutional covenant of the kingdom of heaven is backed up by the laws of God, which are the expressions of his unshakable and unchanging word. 7. Laws are the conditions of covenant. They are the terms under which, if followed, the covenant will operate. Virtually everything we buy these days comes with a covenant of laws and conditions called a warranty. The manufacturer guarantees that if the product is used in accordance with the specified terms and conditions of operation or function, it will perform as designed. If those terms and conditions are violated, the warranty covenant is nullified, and if the product then malfunctions, the manufacturer is free of responsibility. It is no different in the kingdom of heaven. The king's covenant with us specifies blessings and benefits for compliance as well as consequences and penalties for non-compliance. As long as we observe the conditions of the covenant, all the blessings and benefits of the covenant are operative in our lives. If we violate the covenant, the blessings clause shuts down and the consequences clause kicks in. The King's Words of Law As I said before, laws are built into the very fabric of creation. Everything in the natural realm operates according to inherent principles. The same is true of the spiritual realm. The kingdom of heaven is like any other government in the sense that it has laws to protect it and assure that it operates according to God's intent. Laws establish God's kingdom, and these laws were put in place long before the first human being arrived. And yet so often, we have the arrogance and the presumption to question God or challenge Him about His laws and the way He runs things. The biblical character Job tried this, and it earned him a stern rebuke from the king. Afflicted by boils, grieving over the untimely deaths of all his children, and criticized mercilessly by his best friends, who urged him to confess his sins to God, Job held out, demanding to put his case before God himself. Job knew he was innocent of any wrongdoing, and could not understand why he was suffering. In his pain and indignation, Job ended up trying to tell God a few things. That is when God spoke up and adjusted Job's thinking. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Job 38, 1 through 5a and 33. In other words, God was saying, Job, how dare you ask me about my laws? You weren't even around when I made them. Who are you to challenge me? It does no good for a product to challenge the manufacturer. Why did you make things thus and so? That is the manufacturer's prerogative. When you buy a car with an internal combustion engine, you have to accept the law that it requires gasoline to operate. It was the manufacturer's decision, not yours. No matter how hard you might try, or how much you wish it otherwise, that car will not run on any other kind of fuel. That's why it is foolish to challenge God and useless to try to change His laws. God's laws were here long before we were, and they will still be here long after we're gone. Laws are built into creation and laws always carry consequences for violation. If you try to defy the law of gravity by stepping out of a second-story window, 
you are in for a painful shock, if you survive the fall. When we violate the law, we receive the due penalty. God doesn't have to judge us. The law carries its own built-in judgment. Remember, the king's word is law in his kingdom. When it is written down, it is called a testament, and when repeated verbally, constitutes a commandment. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Exodus 24, 3 and 4. The words and laws Moses spoke to the people were the Ten Commandments and related laws that are recorded in the preceding chapters of Exodus. Like all of God's laws, the Ten Commandments are not religious dictates. They are laws established by the King of Creation to determine how all the natural realm should function and how human beings should relate to God and to each other. The Meaning of Law What exactly is law? The most basic Hebrew word for law is Torah, which also means, in addition to law, direction and instruction. In time, the word Torah was used to refer to the entire body of law that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai and passed along to the Israelites. In this usage, Torah means the law, the direction, and even the law of the Lord. In the New Testament, we find two basic Greek words used for law. The first of these is nomos, which means to divide out, distribute, and also that which is assigned. It gradually came to mean usage and custom, and eventually law as prescribed by custom or by statute. This is the word from which we get our English word, norm. Whatever becomes accepted as a norm in our society eventually becomes a law of our society. If we are exposed to a certain unaccustomed idea or behavior long enough, we eventually become so used to it that we start to accept it. Once we accept it, we begin to think of it as normal or as a norm. And once we see it as a norm, we start to expect it. Once we come to expect it, it becomes in practical terms no different from a law, even if it is never formally established as a legal statute. Depending on the nature of the idea or behavior, this process could be very dangerous because we as a society could end up endorsing and normalizing evil or immorality. This is precisely what has happened and is happening in Western culture with regard to such issues as homosexual rights, homosexual marriage, abortion rights, assisted suicide, embryonic stem cell research, and the like. God's laws are designed to prevent us from accepting and normalizing evil and assigning it the force of law in our society. This is the protective nature of laws. They prevent ideas and behaviors that are contrary to the Constitution and the good of the state and the people from becoming a dominant influence. In other words, God's laws are designed to protect the whole community. This is why sin and violation of the law never affect only the person or persons directly involved, but many others as well. It is like a ripple effect. Our actions, good or bad, affect those around us in ways we may never know. When the Israelites were attacking the city of Ai during their conquest of the land of Canaan, the sin of one man, Achan, led to the defeat of the entire community. Only after the Israelite community dealt with Achan's sin were they able to achieve victory. See Joshua chapter 7 and 8. God's laws have personal application with national ramifications. Another meaning of nomos is that of a decreed law established by a state. This definition applies perfectly to the kingdom of heaven, because that kingdom is a state. 
is a country. For citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the Bible is the nomos, the decreed established law of the kingdom that we are pledged and obligated to obey. It is a mistake to think of the Bible as a religious book. It is not. The Bible is a legal book, a book of laws that God has established and set forth in written form to define and protect his kingdom, as well as to protect, preserve, and deliver the entire community of mankind. The second Greek word for law in the New Testament is ethos, which means custom. Whenever we speak of something as being customary, we are speaking of ethos. God's laws are supposed to be customary for us. It is supposed to be customary for us not to lie, or steal, or covet. It is supposed to be customary for us to forgive and to love our enemies as well as each other. Ethos is less formal than nomos. In fact, whereas nomos came to mean decreed, established law, ethos was used to describe unwritten law. The most powerful laws of all are the unwritten laws. In any culture, customs generally carry the social force of law even without formal legal establishment. And customs quite often have a greater influence on people's behavior than any formal laws that are on the books. God never intended to write down any of his laws for us. He did not want us to have to read in order to live. There was no written law in the Garden of Eden, no written law for Abraham, no written law at all for God's covenant people until the days of Moses. The King of Heaven's intention was to write his laws on our hearts and in our minds so that no one would have to teach us. It was humanity's rebellion and separation from God that made written law necessary. We needed something to restrain our baser nature and instincts and prevent us from destroying ourselves by uncontrolled selfishness, passion, and violence. The king's goal has never changed. Despite mankind's rebellion, his original purpose still stands. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Jeremiah 31, 33. This unchanging purpose of the king was fulfilled in the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Natural Law versus Written Law God intended law to be natural. To understand the kingdom of heaven, it is important also to understand the distinction between natural law and written law. First of all, written law is necessary only when natural law is absent. If we human beings were all law-abiding by nature, there would be no need for written law. But as we saw above, our rebellion against God destroyed the rule of natural law in our lives and made written law, as well as human government, necessary to protect society and restrain evil. Second, the purpose for written law is to restore natural law to the conscience. Because of our rebellion against God, we lost our instinctive knowledge and understanding of natural law. Our consciences became corrupt and our likeness to our Maker became tarnished and distorted. Things that were natural in the beginning now became unnatural. For example, we consider generosity to be a virtue, a positive quality we admire in others and aspire to in ourselves. Why? Because it is not a natural human trait, at least not anymore. God never commanded Adam to be generous in giving. Why not? Because giving came naturally to Adam. A generous spirit was inherent in him because he was made in the image of God, his creator, and God is generous by nature. But after the rebellion, mankind became greedy, obnoxious, abusive, 
mean, stingy, and hoarding. We needed a law to restore to our conscience the concept of giving. Third, natural law is sometimes referred to as the spirit of the law. This reflects God's desire for his laws, the standards of his kingdom, to become the norms of our society. Remember, earth is a colony of heaven, and the laws of the king of heaven should apply here as much as they do there. Laws produce society because they determine social relationships. There is a difference between the law and the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law refers to original intent, the purpose that was in the mind of the lawmaker in the beginning. Therefore, the spirit of the law is the inherent essence of the original purpose and intent of that law. As such, the spirit of the law is always higher and broader than the letter of the law. For this reason, the greatest form of law is unwritten law. Unwritten law is a product of the spirit of the law. When law has to be written, it is because the people are disobedient. Written law is a sign that the people have lost sight of the spirit of the law, the original intent. So where the spirit of the law is, there is no need for written law. Any nation is only as good as the laws it enacts. Laws produce society, so whatever kind of society we want is determined by the laws we make. The worse the laws, the worse the nation. However, bad laws do not cause a nation's social, moral, and spiritual decline. They merely reflect a decline that is already underway. Laws mirror the condition of the nation. This is why it is so important for we who are kingdom citizens to regain our understanding of the spirit of the law, natural law. Natural law is the fundamental operating principle of the kingdom of heaven. The laws of the king protect and preserve not only his kingdom, but also the benefits and privileges of the kingdom that are reserved for kingdom citizens. But learning to appropriate them involves more than just knowing what they are. We must learn also the keys of the kingdom that unlock our benefits and privileges and make them active in our lives. Endnotes 1. W.E. Vine, Merrill F. Unger, and William White, Jr. Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. Nashville, Tennessee, Thomas Nelson Publishers, 1996. Old Testament Section, 133-34. to 2. Vine, Unger, and White, Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary, New Testament Section, New Testament Section, 354. Principles. 1. Every kingdom is governed by laws. 2. The Bible is the law book of the kingdom of heaven. 3. The kingdom of heaven has laws to protect it and assure that it operates according to God's intent. 4. Laws are built into creation. 5. Whatever becomes accepted as a norm in our society eventually becomes a law of our society. 6. God's laws are designed to prevent us from accepting and normalizing evil and assigning it the force of law in our society. 7. God's laws have personal application with national ramifications. 8. Written law is necessary only when natural law is absent. 9. The purpose for written law is to restore natural law to the conscience. 10. Natural law is sometimes referred to as the spirit of the law. 11. Laws produce society because they determine social relationships. 12. The spirit of the law is the inherent essence of the original purpose and intent of that law. 13. 
Any nation is only as good as the laws it enacts. 14. Natural law is the fundamental operating principle of the kingdom of heaven. All right, y'all. That was chapter 8. That was awesome. Um, a little nuggets that I got from it is when he said God didn't write down the laws in the beginning, but he had to eventually write them down. After we kept breaking them, he had to write them down. I guess he, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I guess he was like, these people don't get it. Maybe if I write it in stone, maybe they'll start getting it. And then God don't have to come down here and judge us no more. He don't have to judge us. The law is written. The law and the principles are already written down. So how you live your life is is how you will be judged automatically without God coming down here doing nothing. So I love you guys. I want to encourage y'all to stay in the kingdom and to do things God's way through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how to get in the kingdom, um, I want to tell you the first step of entering the kingdom. First, you have to believe that Jesus is the son of God. No man comes to the father except through the son. Second, you have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins. He died for you. He died for me. He died for the world. And thirdly, you have to ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and to save you, and you will be saved. If you did that, welcome to the kingdom. That's the first step. You won't have to get with me, but you can get with any mentor, any life coach, anybody that's speaking kingdom principles and laws. Um, get with God. Ask him to show you who you should be under. And I love you guys. You guys have a great day. Not be under like that, but just to help you. Because I got a mentor. And I want to mentor others. And when you go out and mentor, the uh, you're going to have a mentor. So it's just us keeping it going. Keeping God's kingdom alive and keeping it going. Y'all have a great day. I love you guys.